every time we stand to this grand and glorious hymn confession. Made like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Alleluia. Through our risen Jesus Christ. Amen. Be seated, please. Galatians 6.14 May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 1 Corinthians 2.2 For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because the maker of all things loves and wants me. That's why. For three grueling, exhausting hours now, Jesus has been suspended, hanged out to dry, to die, if you please. Suspended somewhere between the brassy, dusty heavens above and the brazen, profane earth below. The butt of every sad fool's ridicule. There he is, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, draped and dangling from three Roman spikes. As I say, hanged out to dry and die. Open your Bible with me to that moment, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. It is noon, Matthew 27, drop down to verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Scientists just announced over in the UK the discovery of perhaps one of the largest black holes in the universe. Now, some of you are authorities on black holes. I am not. But from the online definitions, let me just remind you that black holes are volumes of space where gravity is extremely limited to the place it prevents the escape of any moving particles. I know, I know not what I am describing, but it just, it just locks them in. Hence, it, it, it's, it's named black hole because not, not even a ray, not even a particle of light can emerge 
from apparently the implosion of a star. Now I want to read the news clipping this week about the scientist's discovery. This is from Cron.com. A group of astronomers have just discovered a rare ultra-massive black hole believed to be one of the largest ever detected to date. Keep reading. The, the gargantuan black hole which is said to have the mass of 30 billion suns. We're talking about one sun. We have 30 billion of them inside that hole. Is located at the center of a galaxy hundreds of millions of light years from Earth. It was uncovered by a team led by Durham University in the United Kingdom using a new technique known as gravitational lensing. What did they find? This massive black hole somewhere in the universe with gravity so extreme not even a single ray of light can escape. Now you think about it. Jesus, who invented black holes and scattered them through the universe, this Creator, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made by Him and was nothing made that was not made by Him. This same Jesus... The Word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us, Jesus, this same Jesus, hangs suspended between heaven and earth, both of which He created, and slowly begins the dragging, the sucking, the plunging into a black hole more gargantuan and more deadly than any other black hole in the cosmos. That anguished cry. By the way, that's not a whimper. The Greek to the loud cry that we just read a moment ago is megalephone. This is a a scream. This is a megaphone into the darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At noon, an awful blackness descends over the land. And there shall pass now another three torturous hours of utter darkness. And in those three torturous hours, the victim on the center cross will slowly be sucked into the ravaging vortex of a black hill nobody can possibly Survive. Last night in Gethsemane, he's begging, pleading with Papa, you remember, begging, Abba, please, please, I beg of you, don't let me go. Find another way. What's going on in the Gospels? By the way, Jesus knows very well What's going on? May I remind you this? In the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, there is revealed to us that Jesus sometimes, actually seven times, you can count them, ends a parable. He ends a teaching or an observation with this bad news, talking about bad news ending. And it goes like this. You remember the words. And they shall be thrown outside into what? Into darkness. Where there will be weeping and gnashing 
of teeth. Darkness, weeping, gnashing, the Jesus Island, isn't it? Of teeth. That literary device of Jesus being cast out into outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, is his code language for hell. H-E-L-L. And what is hell? It is the eternal wages of sin. Everybody knows Romans 6.23. The wages of sin have, have to be the antithesis of the gift of life, which is the, the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's not just death. It's eternal death. And we need to be clear. Hell is not eternal dying. Now, I have some clergy friends that are going to discover the truth embedded in Scripture. Hell is not eternal dying. If it were, Jesus would still be there. Hell is eternal death. No wonder the Bible reads the way it does. Let me run some verses by you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, but we do see Jesus. Yes, we do, especially this weekend. It was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Speaking of the cross. Because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Outer darkness, extreme black hill, hell kind of death. Wow. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's going on here? Apparently, this is how the sinless Son of God, Son of Man, as we learned in our Sabbath school lesson study for this week. Apparently, this is how he becomes sinless one that he was, riddled with a deadly, fatal, mortal disease of sin. And that's why on that, that good but awful Friday, in that funereal darkness, He's being sucked by sin's gravity into the black hole of oblivion from which there is no escape. Just total annihilation. Gone. God made him to be sin in order to save me of my sins. And that's why we have the familiar words in Isaiah that it, the gospel prophet, ancient as he was, surely, speaking of the Messiah, he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And here it comes. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And here it is. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We ask again, what's going on here? And I'll tell you what's going on. 
the maker of all things loves and wants me. That's what's going on. And he loved and wanted us so bad, he let sin suck him into the black hole of oblivion as a dark consequence of becoming my sin and your sin. My, oh, my, oh, my. We don't get it. How could we? How could we possibly? Mead McGuire, in that book of his, His Cross and Mine, writes, probably the most dreadful punishment men can inflict is solitary confinement in darkness. It often drives men insane. Those of you who read the autobiography of John McCain, remember the torture he faced as a prisoner of war? Remember that? In, in uh, Hanoi, North Vietnam, separated from all sentient beings by darkness and no contact. In the black hole of Calvary, Jesus descends into this terrible, dark, no-contact, solitary nothingness to become sin. McGuire goes on, the consciousness of his father's presence which had sustained him throughout his life, it left him. He was drinking that dreadful cup over which he had wrestled so many hours in Gethsemane but which he had never named. Take it, Papa, take it. But now with a sudden cry of inexpressible woe, the words burst from his lips. Not Abba, not Papa, not Father, but it's Mike. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was grappling with the overwhelming sense of abandonment and despair. All the pain and torture of the crucifixion were as nothing to the horror of spiritual separation from God. In descending into that outer darkness, he was suffering not only the sorrows of death, but the pains of hell. He went to hell for you. He went to hell for me. Go to hell, people spit. And he did. I repeat, was willing to descend into the oblivion of nothing, nothingness forever and ever. Amen. Descent. Oblivion. Richard John Newhouse, in his book, Death on a Friday Afternoon, he describes that desperation and that scream. Something has been lost. Something has been withdrawn. And it cannot be called back. Matthew Arnold, in his poem, Dover Beach, captures that sense of lostness and nothingness. The sea of faith was once too at the full and round earth's shore, lay like the folds of a bright girdle furled. But now I only hear its melancholy, long, withdrawing roar, retreating to the breath of the night wind down the vast edges drear and naked shingles of the world. Its melancholy, long, withdrawing roar. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Desire of Ages offers a last word. Satan, with his fierce temptations, wrung the heart of Jesus. The Savior could not see through the portals of the tomb. Hope did not present to him 
is coming forth from the grave, a conqueror, or tell him of the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice. He feared that sin was so offensive to God that their what? What's the next word? Their separation was to be, what's the last word? Eternal. He believed. He feared that their separation was to be eternal. He has concluded that from this black hole, he will never ascend again. And so he died of a broken heart. Keep reading. But it was not the spear thrust. It was not the pain of the cross that caused the death of Jesus. That cry uttered with a loud voice at the moment of death. The stream of blood and water that flowed from his side declared that he died of a broken heart. His heart was broken by mental anguish. He was slain by the sin of the world. My, oh, my, oh, my. Eternal separation. One-way trip into a black hole from which nobody can emerge. And so he dies of a broken heart. But hallelujah. Three days later, out of that black hole, love with its mended heart ascends to live forever and ever. Again, amen. I know. It's, it, it is humanly impossible for you and me to grasp what it means to step into the reality of oblivion and yet live to tell. So I'm going to end with a story, a story I remember from childhood, a story about a young boy who is deathly ill, so sick, in fact, that the doctors say he's going to die if they don't find a donor. And, of course, they, they test the entire family. And they discover that only his little sister had the rare but perfect match. So the doctors and her parents explained to that little girl the nature of the emergency and asked her if she would be willing to give some of her blood to save the life of her brother. She turned her pensive face away. She lost in thought. Finally, she looks up into the faces, eagerly waiting her reply, and she nods her curls. She will give her blood. The med techs are ready to go. They insert that needle into her small arm, and the little plastic bag begins to fill with that life-saving blood. Slowly, the minutes tick by. The procedure finally ends. And as they led the little girl back out of the room with a quivering lip and tears in her eyes, she, she said, Daddy, Daddy, when will I die now? And the father looked down to smile when it hit him like a bolt of lightning. That little girl just went through that procedure believing that when it was over, she die. I ask you a question. Did that little girl die for her brother? Yes or no? You tell me. Yes or no? Of course.
course she did. She died right here. She gave her life. I'm going to ask you another question. Did Jesus really die forever for my sins? Yes or no? He did. Up here, he paid the supreme oblivion sacrifice. The black hole of death. How do we comprehend it? It broke his heart. It broke his heart. This is what, this is what sets my heart to worship. Just this line. I share it with you. He was willing to die forever so that you, so that I might live forever. I want you to just to hang, hang with that line for a moment. Brood, brood on it. He was willing to die forever. Never come back. Never, ever come back. So that you, sinner as I am, I might live forever without him. I don't understand it. Some of you standing as you are, trembling today, I know you're standing on the edge of the black hole of death, uncertain that you will ever come back again. I need to say to you that on the authority of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the maker of all things, with radical assurance, I can promise you in Christ you will come back. Death may not stop. Death that approaches you now may not reverse itself. And it may feel like a black hole. But thanks to Calvary, in this gargantuan black hole, the, the blackest of the black holes, today there is a stream of white light that runs straight to the heart of it. And the light speaks. And the words are, because I live, you shall live also. That's it. Because I live, you shall live also. Why? Because the maker of all things loves and wants me. That's why. We end with the words of Romans chapter 8. For I'm convinced, hey, let's read these out loud together. Come on. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm absolutely convinced that is the greatest truth in the universe today. Let's pray. Oh, God. A few moments of brooding 
over that black hole darkness that engulfed the center cross. Just long enough we brood to know the truth. There is nothing in this universe that can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And to that we all say, thank you, Jesus. Amen.